Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And joining me on today's show is Luke Boggs. Luke, how are you doing? Oh, doing great. Staying in my house forever. This is where we're going to be forever. Um, also joining us today is Megan Payne. How's it going, Meg? It's going pretty well. Um, I, like Luke and you, feel like this is just going to be where we are forever. And I am, as a social introvert, I am missing the social piece. So that's getting interesting. But ultimately, I am well. Well, we are going to talk about more opportunities to leave our homes today Uh, That is the subject of the day because Governor Kemp has announced that some businesses are going to be allowed to reopen starting on Friday. Uh, So we're going to talk about the governor's order and the response to that that has come uh, from politicians, from Donald Trump all the way to uh, Democrats in the Georgia House of Representatives. And we're also going to talk about the implication of the state reopening some businesses on workers who work in those businesses. And then don't miss the next item in your podcast feed. Meg talked with Representative Becky Evans about what the state needs to do to be ready to reopen and about some of the latest information that legislators are getting. They also talked about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on campaign season. Uh, The legislative session has been suspended and Representative Evans does have a primary challenger. That primary is likely to happen before the legislative session comes back into effect. And the Ethics Commission upheld a ban on fundraising by members of the legislature during legislative session. That includes this period where legislative session has been suspended. Um, So we get a little bit of information about how that is impacting primary campaigns like Representative Evans and other members of the legislature that have primaries this cycle. But let's start with Governor Kemp's order here. Uh, So Governor Kemp, basically made Georgia one of the first states in the country to pursue a reopening of businesses that had been closed under shelter-in-place orders that had been issued by the governor. And Luke, I think the place to start here is to start with the rationale for why Governor Kemp is acting. He is acting early, which has garnered a lot of criticism for him, but he has really wanted to put the focus on the state's economy. Here's why Governor Kemp said this order was needed on Monday. And as a small business owner for over 30 years, I know the impact that this pandemic has had on hardworking Georgians in every zip code and in every community across our state. With heightened supply and limited demand, Crops are rotting and our farmers continue to struggle to keep employees on the payroll. Our small business owners are seeing sales plummet and the company that they built with them with the blood, sweat and tears is literally disappearing right in front of them. Our contract workers are struggling to put food on the table. Large businesses which serve as anchors in many Georgia towns are scaling back operations, leaving some with reduced hours and others with no job. These are tough moments in our state and our nation. I hear the concerns of those that I'm honored to serve. I see the terrible impact of COVID-19 on public health as well as the pocketbook. So Luke, that was Governor Kemp talking about the business 
necessity of beginning to reopen some small businesses in the state. Um, we're going to talk about the what we think the impact for businesses may actually be a little bit later. But what does Governor Kemp's order do when reopening some of these businesses? So Kemp announced on Monday that some businesses would be able to return starting on Friday to what is called, they're calling minimum basic operations, which basically would be uh, the minimum necessary activities to maintain the value of a business, such as provide some services, managing inventory, ensuring security and processing payroll. The businesses that are starting back up on Friday, uh, which may be when you're hearing this or a little bit after, are include gyms, fitness centers, bowling alleys, tattoo parlors, hair salons, and barbers. Um, and starting on Monday, April 27th, some restaurants and movie theaters will be able to open back as well. They are asking the businesses that open back up to uh, take some health precautions such as screening their employees for illnesses and doing enhanced workplace sanitation, uh, providing PPE when appropriate. That, that is basically what this order is doing, is allowing some businesses to open back up with some restrictions. Yeah, so it was interesting to see the immediate reaction to this order. Um, this, uh, this is an order that Governor Kemp described as a modest step. He felt like it was deliberate. We're going to talk about the rationale for this order that he and his administration were offering. Um, it was not surprising to immediately see Democrats in the state being critical of this order. But by Wednesday evening, Governor Kemp had found opposition from a very unlikely place. Here's President Donald Trump. I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities which are in violation of the phase one guidelines for the incredible people of Georgia. They're incredible people. I love those people. They are they're great. They've been strong, resolute. But at the same time, he must do what he thinks is right. I want him to do what he thinks is right. Uh, but I disagree with him on what he's doing, but I want to let the governors do. Now, if I see something totally egregious, totally out of line, I'll do. But I think spas and beauty salons and tattoo parlors and barber shops in uh, phase one, we're going to have phase two very soon, is just too soon. I think it's too soon. And I love the people. I love I love those people that use all of those things, the spas and the beauty parlors and barber shops, tattoo parlors. I love them. But they can wait a little bit longer, just a little bit, not, not much, because safety has to predominate. We have to have that. Megan, that was a very unexpected reaction from President Trump, I thought. I'm going to ask you a question that might be difficult to answer. Was President Trump right? Uh, actually, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that Donald Trump loves us. Right. All, uh, that's I, the most love I've ever felt from that man. <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous the way he like kept insisting that he loved Georgians and the people who use the facilities that he wants to stay closed. Like what, what the, what the what? But also, um, yeah, he's actually right. And I will give him that gold star. <laughs> I, I, w I was genuinely shocked. It's just like, 
I am I am identifying with Donald Trump's just like, you know, just stay closed a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. It'll be okay. Right? Just a little bit longer. I was well, just like, oh my God. I was, so I was discussing with a friend last night. I was like, hell hath frozen over. And I expect at any moment to look outside and to see um, a bunch of pigs just fly right on by. Because what is happening? Well, what do y'all make of this? I thought that this was really interesting sort of on two fronts. In some ways, you could sort of predict that this was going to happen because both Dr. Fauci, who's been sort of the point person for the White House on response to the coronavirus, said that Georgia's order could be setting us back in our response. Dr. Burks, one of the other uh, point people on response in Washington, said that she wasn't sure how businesses like tattoo parlors could open up and comply with social distancing guidelines. It didn't make much sense to her how this was actually going to work out. Um, so in one part of me believes that Trump is sort of being genuine about the concern here. He is a uniquely important figure for persuading high-profile Republican politicians to do what he wants them to do. Uh, typically, we are decrying that sort of that sort of activity, but it seems to have been, it seems to at least have been an attempt to be useful in this instance. Uh, the other thing that is at play here, though, is politics. And our listeners may remember that President Trump wanted Doug Collins to be the nominee for the Senate. Kelly Leffler is actually is the one who wound up being the nominee there. And it, one might uh, reasonably wonder if there is a holdover of political tension there. Do you guys think that politics had any role to play here? Or is he uh, being a public health champion, President Trump? I don't think there's any politics here. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Trump's administration has not done a great job on coronavirus. We, we've been very clear on that. But there, there are, there's just one element of this that makes me think that Trump is actually being genuine here and he thinks this is a bad idea. And that is because Trump has wanted nothing more since he had to start taking this seriously and had to encourage us all to shut down than to find a way to open the economy back up, right? Like, Trump has been so clear. Like, he had this whole... Easter thing of like, man, I really wish we could open up by Easter. And he's been pushing for the economy to open back up. And I think they jumped the gun a little bit with the plan they put out that, you know, put into some very ambitious phases of how we could open the economy back up. And Trump pretty clearly like supports that idea uh, because it is a pretty aggressive timetable to open the economy back up. But here's the thing. Like, Kemp isn't even following that. Like, Kemp is being more aggressive than the Trump let's open up the economy again uh, timeline. And so the reason why I think Trump is actually coming from a place of, I think this is a bad idea, is because he wants the economy to open up. He desperately wants the economy to turn around. And there would, you know, Trump does kind of seem like the guy who's, you know, to quote Trump, what do you have to lose? And so I was kind of surprised that Trump's response to Georgia doing this and Brian Kemp unilaterally making this decision. I'm surprised he's like, well, what do we have to lose? Maybe they should try it and see what happens. Maybe it'll work and we can all open back up and it'll be great. So the fact that he's like, no, this is a terrible idea. Like I'm thinking you know, he either has been convinced by his uh, team that this is too early or, you know, because we are still talking about Donald Trump here, he thinks this will go 
poorly and will reflect poorly on him because of uh, you know diseases in Georgia going back up and uh, cases in Georgia going back up and making a Republican governor look bad and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think the I think you've hit the nail on the reflect poorly piece um, because. In Kemp's releases recently, he was talking about how he has had phone calls with the Trump administration slash Trump himself. I'm not clear on who the phone calls were actually with. And all they really would say was that they, quote, went well. And it seemed like Kemp was really surprised by Trump and his reaction, like possibly this was Trump changing his mind. And so I think it definitely has to do, you know, with Trump's ever going concern for his ratings and his popularity. As well as I also think that if we if we were seeing some sort of like political masterminding and like retaliation, his response would have been a little bit more put together. I found Trump's reaction to be like kind of all over the place, you know, with the I love these people. I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. You know, kind of trying to buy time to get his time, his thoughts together. And I honestly don't think that would have happened if he had decided to take this move to you know, fulfill some sort of political vendetta. So to bring this home a little bit, President Trump wasn't the only person to oppose this order. Some of the most stringent opposition locally has come from mayors in the state. Augusta Mayor Hardy Davis said that the order handcuffed local officials. That's because local governments can't enforce stronger restrictions or keep closed some of the businesses that Kemp's order allows to reopen. The Atlanta mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, she said that she was going to use her pulpit to urge Georgians to stay home. You saw similar responses from Mayor Kelly Gertz in Athens, Mayor Van Johnson in Savannah, and Mayor Bo Duro down in Albany, one of the worst hotspots in the state. House Democrats also wrote a letter asking the governor to reverse this order. I mean, it was really interesting that Governor Kemp did not really communicate this very well to Uh, the mayors, the local officials, but also to his own coronavirus task force. Uh, Bernice King, the co-chair of the Community Outreach Committee, a member of the task force, has actually threatened to quit the task force over the lack of communication there. So his rollout of this in terms of communication with local officials and stakeholders that are involved in this process seems to have been really poor. But the real big question here is... Is Georgia ready to reopen? Um, And so I think it's sort of worth addressing this sort of on three different levels that we're going to talk through here. Um, The first level is, does the state meet the White House's criteria for reopening? Um, These are criteria that Luke mentioned that we're going to talk about are related to the data that the state produces that helps them determine whether or not this crisis is getting better or getting worse. Um, The second piece of this is the testing capacity for the state. Do we have the testing capacity necessary to ramp up if infection spreads when businesses reopen? And then the third piece of this that we're going to talk about is the contact tracing program um, that's sort of a public health tool that we'll discuss here. Megan, what do you think about whether or not the state has met the requirements laid out by the White House, the federal guidelines that are out there that would suggest that beginning even a modest process of reopening is a good idea? Um, I mean, I really don't think that we have met those. The biggest concern that I have about meeting those guidelines is the overhead cost for all of these businesses. Um, I don't know about y'all, but um, I know 
that most of the small businesses that I've ever been a part of, it they don't have a bunch of thermometers. They don't have PPE. They don't necessarily even have hospital grade or like high grade cleaning solution because they just don't need it. Um, and so all of a sudden, in order to reopen, they're going to have to go find all this stuff that isn't even available to people who work in hospitals. And I, I just I just don't think we're ready. I think there's more to it than that, but that's the glaring concern for me. Yeah, I think another piece of that is interpreting the state's data in terms of where are we on flattening the curve? Where are we on if you allow more person-to-person interactions, if you allow basically more risk that the virus could spread, do we have the hospital capacity? Do we have the testing capacity to be able to respond to that and keep one or two or a handful of people who become infected with COVID-19, keep that from blowing up into a large hotspot of the virus? Um, And Really, I think the the jury on whether or not the state's data meets the federal guidelines, that's sort of difficult to judge. Dr. Toomey, the head of the uh, Department of Public Health, she said that the state is on track to meet the federal guidelines. That's basically 14 days of reduced cases. But independent analysis, some of which was done by the AJC, said that assessing the state's data is really difficult. The way that they report it leaves a lot of confusion about when tests were done. And the timeline of those tests is important for understanding if we see increasing case numbers in the last two weeks, is that attributable to tests that were done in the last two weeks? Or are some of those tests older and on a bit of a backlog that would allow us to potentially misinterpret that data. Um, some other well, public... Let, let, can I just stop you there for a second, yeah. Kyle? Yeah. The, the fact that there is not a clear answer and the fact that it is so hard to get a clear idea of what's going on is, to me, a sign of why this is a bad idea, even if it is true. And, you know, there, there's a lot to talk about here and there's a lot I, I would like to hit on. But it does really seem to me that Kemp is going alone on this. I think this comes back to a really simple thing, which is like, I think this is ideological. I think Kemp thinks that what we're doing right now is worse than the alternative of having us go back to work and having people be at threat of getting the disease and having more cases. The, you know, uh, a PMS debate that was in the news a couple weeks ago, the cure being worse than the problem it's trying to solve. Uh, I firmly disagree with this view, but I, I really think that is what this is coming from because with the data being this muddled, I, if this was something that Kemp cared about, if Kemp cared about the data and wanted to be in line with what the, uh, you know, the, experts were saying was important, I think he would come out and say that. But that's not what he said. What he said was hitting on all the problems that he says businesses are having. And why I say that this is an ideological point, and we'll get into this more later, is he's not saying, federal government, my best friend, President Donald Trump, please help us. Please do things to help the state of Georgia and states like us who our, want our businesses to survive this crisis, he thinks that the way to solve this crisis is to reopen the economy and let the free market solve the issue. That's where I think this is coming from. And I think that's why 
there's really no effort. And again, I said this earlier, I, I think there's no effort from them to try to meet these federal guidelines of when a good, smart, scientific time to open it is because he doesn't care about good, smart science. He cares about the economy and the free market determining what works and what doesn't. Yeah, well, I think the other piece of it, too, I think it speaks to the lack of readiness, the lack of if you think that the economy is the answer, then maybe you're not putting the effort in on testing or contact tracing some of the other building blocks for reopening. It does feel like, you know, despite some efforts and and the governor will say, you know, we've been working on these problems as a state. It does feel like testing is not where it needs to be still despite the fact that the governor has said that he's frustrated about the state of testing, it's not a problem but, that is solved. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. And this is why I said that the last issue was ideological, because this one is ideological, because Brian Kemp has told us it is. Like, this is not me making assumptions. Brian Kemp has said that he believes it is the free market's job solely to solve the testing problem. He does not think that the state government has a role in, in the testing issue, which there's a great article on, on Jim uh, uh, that Jim Galloway w- wrote that hit on this and hit on the fact that uh, Kemp thinks that the rural hospital issue is also a free market issue. Oh, and, no. And, and so I, I don't think Georgia is going to get a good testing regime because there is no way to force the governor to make us have one. And it's a really, really frustrating situation. And I think Brian Kemp is going to be sitting on his porch frustrated, saying, why won't the free market solve this problem? And, and I, I don't know what it's going to take for him to realize that, you know, every once in a while, there's a problem that the free market just can't solve. And well, evidence yeah. is, is mounting every day that this is very clearly something he, that it's not solving. Right. Well, and here's the other issue to letting the free market solve this, right? This is a temporary problem, um, or at least we hope it is a temporary problem. At the end of the day, it's supposed to eventually go away. So why would the free market invest all of this time and money into doing more than they are already doing, right? Like we've got companies that are like definitely making a, a decent amount of money off of this and it is very worth it to them. But at some point, the companies like LabCorp that are, you know, helping with this testing and have like really ramped it up are going to say that we're not going to put any more money into this because if this problem is going to be completely gone in a year, then what are we going to do with all of these additional assets? Now, they could kind of save them for a rainy day, but like you can't save additional personnel for a rainy day. You can't save any, like you can have extra machinery in storage somewhere, but it also has to be maintained. So at some point, the free economy is going to say, okay, but like the buck stops here. We're done. So I think I disagree a little bit in that there are efforts that the state is making. And I think the mistake that the governor is making here is he is getting out in front of the existing efforts and not really reckoning with the fact that the existing efforts are either in the case of testing, not enough to be ramped up to the level that you need to be reopening Or the other piece that I think is worth talking about here is this issue of contact tracing. Um, So contact tracing is basically a standard public health tool used to track and contain infectious disease. Basically what happens is people who 
serve as tracers. They reach out to people who test positive and they talk to people about other people that they've interacted with, places that they've been shopping, other instances where they may have been able to spread the virus. And then they try to make a map of those things, let people who may have been exposed to somebody who has the virus, let them know and put put the exposed person in quarantine, try to contain the virus from spreading more. When you talk about the public versus the private, that contact tracing effort is an effort that is being led by the State Department of Public Health. Kathleen Toomey talked a lot about that responsibility for the Department of Public Health in Monday's press conference. Um, And the White House has made has decided that states need to take on this effort to begin the reopening process. But the problem here is that the state hasn't hired enough people or gotten enough volunteers together to be able to scale up a contact tracing effort to the level that you need to be effective in containing the virus if you have spread that happens because people are patronizing businesses like barbershops and and hair salons and tattoo parlors if you have an outbreak of the virus from that, contact tracing needs to be at a much greater scale than it is now. Um, that's where I think the mistake is being made is not reckoning with where the state actually is and, and jumping the gun on getting those things into effect. There are other pieces of the contact tracing issue, though, too, Megan. Um, one of the issues is that for contact tracing to be effective, people have to buy into basically being tracked by the state government, being willing to engage with public health professionals or contact tracing volunteers who will talk to them and ask them about who they've been interacting with. Um, You know, this could particularly be difficult if uh, somebody is friends or family member of somebody who quickly becomes gravely ill because they have contracted the coronavirus. What are some things that are sort of on your mind about people's compliance with contact tracing, about privacy concerns related to that. How do you think about that question? That's a, that's a great question, Kyle. Um, I, I'm kind of of two minds on this issue. Um, and I'll just go ahead and say that, that I'm, I'm of like a kind of human, compassionate mind, and then I'm of a technical mind. From the human side of things, I think that contact tracing is obviously super important. It is something that has been done manually for years and years and years regarding, um, you know, other outbreaks and diseases. Um, And additionally, you see kind of a small scale version of it uh, when an individual gets an STI and needs to go share with previous partners that, hey, you might have been exposed to something. So contact tracing is super important. um, And I think we definitely need to do it. That said... My tech mind basically goes to this place of, but the way we're doing it, the way that is being proposed to do it, isn't very private. It's not a great method. So let me just get this out of the way by saying that I think we need to use the technology that we have the best way we can, which means that we're probably going to have to lose some freedoms, at least temporarily, in order to make this truly efficient. But I think we need to take a look at the technology and take a look at how we're doing this going forward. So that way, should this happen again, we have something better and more private and more secure in place. We know that technologies based on Bluetooth are hackable. um, And we also know that the hackability, if you will, of Bluetooth largely depends on manufacturers. So with so many people having different 
cell phone providers and things like that, and I don't mean network, I mean like the actual hardware, um, you have different levels of security and different types of Bluetooth uh, in in use, um, as well as then what is happening with the data on the back end. I know we're getting some assurances from Apple and Google that the data remains private and those sorts of things, but there is a major mistrust of those companies. And so I think we need some more regulations in place, some more laws in place, some things to truly make uh, Americans as well as you know citizens in other countries feel safe allowing themselves to be tracked like that. Well, and there, it's worth clarifying. I think there's sort of two distinct contract trace contact tracing efforts that are going on. Um, The first is the effort that is being pursued by the State Department of Public Health. That involves people doing this in a more manual way by being volunteers who do these interviews. Um, The data from... As as a quick note, the film uh, Pandemic actually has an excellent example of how contact tracing works and a very high-tech version of it, but just the general principles of it. So if you're interested... And it's a great movie overall, but <laughs> um, definitely great quarantine watching. Yes, I'm sure. Nope, um, not watching it. It's good. It's, no, the too, other, too real. Yeah, I think it's probably too real for me too right now. <laughs> um, the other piece of that sort of manual state-led effort is that the contact tracer volunteers will be sort of uploading this data onto an app that the state is beginning to roll out, but has not really rolled out or used yet. So there are like technical challenges there. That's sort of one piece, which is the state, the one the state is trying to pursue right now. The other piece is this effort being led by Google and Apple that would uh, be a more passive contact tracing method that would use Bluetooth uh, radars in phones to sort of make a map of interactions. And then if people opt into this more automated system, you could do contact tracing that way when people are identified to have had the virus. That is one that is not really ready yet. I don't think that that is factored into the governor's considerations as he reopens businesses. Um, But it is, you know, potentially a method that could be used further down the line, particularly if you had a resurgence of the virus in the fall. For sure. And I definitely appreciate the clarification because you're right. They are very different. At the end of the day, though, I believe the privacy concern, if not the Bluetooth concern, is the same for both versions and for even a super manual version of contact tracing. What happens to that data when this is over? And also, you know, if you're if you're really concerned about it, some people might wonder, well, if I'm listed in that data as somebody who carried this disease and, spe- and potentially spread it, how will that affect me going forward if that were to leak? So I kind of come at this from a different perspective, uh, being a fan of history and you know reading a lot about the Spanish flu and listening to a lot of podcasts about it too. Like contract tracing is like really old. Like it's a thing that's been around for a really long time. Uh, is it somewhat in you know invading people's privacy? Yes, but I would rather not die from the coronavirus, and so I would you know prefer to have a heads up if I encountered someone that had it um, and uh, be made aware of that. And so I, I think you know sort of you know the, the scale of like liberty and privacy. I think this is uh, probably somewhere in the middle where that that equation comes off in the right direction where this is something you should do. Uh, I, I'm far, far more skeptical of any automated 
uh, system, especially one by private business. Um, but the like state employees going around and talking to people, I, th- I think that's going to be fine. I doubt there will be any severe negative consequences of that. Um, the, the funny thing about what you said, Megan, is uh, you were worried about the negative consequences for people who have had the disease and survived it. Um, I, I actually think they might be in a better situation because those might be the people that have antibodies and can't get it again. Uh, so we, we might end up in a regime where you, you would want to be someone who uh, have has is known as a survivor of coronavirus. Um, but again, I'm just going to come back to the point that I've been making for this whole Is Georgia Reggae segment. The answer is no, because even if, let's imagine Brian Kemp was like, we're going to put a bunch of money behind this. We have the money to do it, and we're going to hire, you know, 3,000 people to do this, which is significantly more than the numbers I've heard of how many we probably need, and definitely way less than the number of people we're actually going to hire. Like, it takes time to train those people. <laughs> like, you, you know, you don't just say, like, I'm going to be a contact tracer, and you just know how to do it, and you know how to do it perfectly. Like, it takes time to train those people to... Uh, get them connected to the network, you know, to come up with like how this is going to work. And we're just rushing this. And again, when we talk, when we get to the next section, I'm going to say why I think we're rushing it, but we are very obviously rushing this. Well, yeah. And Luke, so, I mean, I think we all agree that the state is taking on a lot of risk by moving right now. The reason that the governor feels comfortable uh, adopting a little bit of risk is that he wants to see conditions improve for businesses, for customers to return, for businesses to be making money and for people to be going to work again. I, I'm just going to note that I think everything you just said is BS, but okay. That is actually my question. Well, that's what you said with Kemp wants. That's what Kemp is saying. I don't think that's what he wants. Well, then what do you think? Because, you know, like, he has really been most passionate when he talks about two things, when he talks about the impact of this on businesses and the impact of this on religious services. What are you thinking if you think that his passion for that is sort of a, you know, not genuine? So I don't know Brian Kemp's heart. I don't, I'm not going to pretend I do. Um, but I think if he really cared about businesses, and I think he does care about businesses. Now, does he care about the people working for those businesses? No. Um, but corporations are people, my friends. Um, what, I, what I think he is concerned about is uh, the state's economy and the budget implications for the state of Georgia by not finding ways to release the intense budget pressures that we are now under. And these are not, you know, I mean, some of the, you know, a lot of this is not Brian Kemp's fault and a lot of it is not anyone's fault. It's just, this is what happens when you have a disease. And this is, again, comes back to my ideology point. Brian Kemp does not believe that the government has a role or if he does, it's a very, very small, very specific role. And so if I was the governor of the state of Georgia, I would be trying to find things that the government of the state of Georgia, which I was the leaguer of, could do to help these people I claim to really care about. So if I really cared about businesses, I would be finding ambitious ways to help those businesses in this time of need through government programs, through trying to figure out something we could do to keep these businesses alive while doing the medically responsible thing. And the other thing 
that is clearly happening here is that the state of Georgia is under a lot of unemployment pressure. The whole country is. No no questions asked about that. But Georgia has uh, significantly more claims for unemployment than many other states. And so I think a lot of this is about trying to make that budgetary picture work, of trying to hope that you open up these businesses, they put some of their employees back on their payroll, and that enough people will go get their hair cut or go to a bowling alley or go dying in that those businesses can keep afloat and that the state is no longer having to support their employees because Brian Kemp does not believe that is the state's job. We broke Kyle. <laughs> I broke you. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out where to go here. Well, um, well okay, so I, I have a question for you, Kyle, and you can ignore this question and say what you were about to say if you think that would be a better path. What okay. do you think Brian Kemp is trying to accomplish like, because because I, I want to be like very clear here, because I don't understand what he thinks is going to happen. Because my mom's a hairdresser, so like I have a very very clear line into what someone in that industry and a bunch of people in that industry are thinking. And the unanimous thing from her boss to everyone she works with is this: this is too soon to open, and I am terrified of going to work. I also am no longer going to be able to get unemployment and uh, her boss is no longer going to be able to benefit from some uh, federal programs that could help uh, in this crisis situation. And they also are getting a lot of their clients saying they want to come back and that if they do not open, that they will go somewhere else. So to me, this seems like a very clear situation where Kemp feels like the state is currently subsidizing the private um, businesses in a way that he thinks is not correct for the state to do and is costing the state a lot of money. And this is a very easy way to say, not my problem anymore. So I think the thing that that misunderstands a little bit is that the state is not actually doing a lot of the subsidizing of businesses. And there's sort of two pieces to this that the federal response has led on. Uh, the first piece is the Paycheck Protection Program, the small business loans that have now come in two phases. The first phase of this ran out of money, and so Congress had to put more money into this program, and a lot of small businesses had a lot of problems accessing the funding in that program. Um, and it turned out, probably to the surprise of no one, that the companies that ended up benefiting from that program were large chains like Shake Shack or um Axios, this big media company that had a bunch of venture capital funding, was able to get funding from that while a lot of small businesses, probably a lot of the ones that the governor is seeking to reopen, were not able to access that aid. I think that's the first part of the federal response to this. The second piece is on this issue of unemployment insurance. The state, I think, is actually hoping that people will be able to continue to access unemployment insurance under a reopening um, because the Department uh, as a, of Labor... As a quick note, has Brian Kemp said that? So the, the Georgia Department of Labor actually changed the rules of the unemployment program to allow people who were basically getting partially furloughed, so they're only working at their job for maybe a few hours a week or they're completely laid off, 
those people can earn up to $300 a week and still qualify for unemployment insurance. That means not only do they get the regular state-funded program uh, that is the basic unemployment insurance that's available, but the federal government has also added a $600 supplement through the end of the summer uh, that will add on to that funding the basically the wages that people will get as a part of unemployment meaning that you could maybe take on three, four, five hours a week at a business that reopens and still qualify for unemployment. There's problems with this um, that we can get into, but I think if you're Governor Kemp, to get to your larger question, if you're Governor Kemp, I think the thing that you hope happens is you hope, well, A, you believe that some of these businesses have been unfairly singled out. You know, barbers and hair salons, tattoo parlors, restaurants, those businesses were closed down by the state. They are actually not a large share of the state's businesses. There's a whole bunch of other businesses that have been allowed to continue minimum basic operations without closing. So you reopen these businesses. Just just a quick note on those businesses, though. They weren't really unfairly targeted in my mind. They're businesses where you literally cannot social distance. You cannot cut someone's hair from six feet away. You can't get them a tattoo from six feet away. Now, I'm a little more sympathetic on the restaurants and the movie theaters, but those other ones, like, you just can't do it. There's no way to do it, but go ahead. And if you can, I don't want it. Yeah, and I think, and and I'm interested in your view on that, Megan, like whether or not people are going to be wanting to do this at all. You know, I think that's the big flaw in Governor Kemp's plan. But to just sort of lay out what I think his thinking is, I think that he feels that those businesses, because they were forced to completely close, that they were a little bit unfairly singled out. um, And that if they are allowed to reopen, but if they actually comply with the guidelines those businesses will find something that they can do that will allow them to bring some money in and keep their business afloat. Now, do I think that that is likely to happen? I don't really, I don't know how you could, you know, reopen a tattoo parlor and do anything else and be able to do whatever that other thing is in a way that's going to just totally offset all of your loss of your tattoo business. I, you know, I think that that's unlikely, but I think that that's what governor Kemp kind of hopes happens. The other thing that I think is the real downside here is that employers are going to be really irresponsible. They're not going to follow the guidelines or, you know, I think many of them will, uh, well, I, follow I, I the think guidelines. I, I can help on this point. It, is that like, Let's say I ran a gym, right? And I wanted to follow these guidelines. I would have to come up with a training to train all of my employees to do it, because at least to my knowledge, and maybe there is, but at least to my knowledge right now, there's no state resource for like what is the best practice for cleaning my gym during a global pandemic. Um, Okay, let's assume there was that training. Where am I going to get the money or even find the clinging supplies you need because the few times that I have ventured out since this started, which 
Maybe I've left my house like four or five times and gone shopping four of those five times. I've only actually found the cleaning supplies I needed, and that includes toilet paper, of course, one time. <laughs> and so it's like these things are hard to find. Like the stuff you need to do this right is really hard to find right now. So I think that's a huge problem with this. Cause, so, I, I mean, I generally think people try to do the right thing and that people are coming from a good place. I think the businesses who are opening will not know how to do this right. And it's not their fault because this is a problem that's way above their pay grade. Yeah, Luke. I mean, I think that is the challenge. Do businesses have the resources that they need to comply with this order? Do they even feel communicated with? Because in the in the press right after this announcement, a lot of businesses were saying that they were not ready to reopen. They were unsure about what the guidelines were going to be and how they could comply with them. The other piece of this question for businesses, though, is are they even, you know, is reopening going to do anything good for them from a business perspective? Are they going to have customers coming to them to use their services, buy their products? Megan, would some businesses be better off to just stay closed for lack of customers? I think some of them will. I think that there are going to be people who are able to choose to stay home who will. Um, I think, you know, I think we're already kind of seeing an example of what this will look like with the number of people who are um, going and, and dining out. Restaurants are saying that even with the ability to provide food via, via DoorDash and Grubhub and Postmates and just have people come to do curbside pickup or walk-in pickup or whatever, they're still seeing less business. And so I think we'll see kind of a trend similar to that continue just with people electing to prepare their own food and to not get out and about, especially with things being so unknown and Georgia probably not really being ready to reopen. But the other thing that I will say, and this is just kind of an amusing, uh, something that think that I think about that amuses me, is can you imagine trying to get some of these services at a distance? Like if there were a way to get a tattoo or get a haircut or have your nails done from six feet away. Like, can you imagine what that would look like and like how bad the quality would ultimately be? Cause like, you'd have to do it like with really long poles or something. And like, I just imagine like this almost Edward Scissorhand type situation, but like longer. <laughs> like, I just can't imagine that going well. Like not without people practicing. Like maybe somebody has figured out how to do this, but like, your general person, you're either going to have to violate social distancing practices or you're going to end up with like a really funky situation. My mom is a really good hairdresser, but yeah, I think that's going to be real hard for her to figure out. Well, and the other piece of the, the equation for businesses too is that some people are going to stay home because they don't feel safe going out. There's also a lot of people who will stay home because they themselves have lost their job and they may decide that there are a lot of things that are, they don't need to buy right now, services they don't need to purchase uh, because they've lost their job. We, we got, we're recording on Thursday and we got the latest batch of unemployment claims that have been filed nationwide. More than 26 million people have filed for unemployment across the entire country since the beginning of this coronavirus pandemic. I believe the number in Georgia is above 1 million. That means a million people 
have lost their jobs or are furloughed from their jobs and are unsure about what their own economic futures are going to be, people are just not like super jazzed up to go out and, and buy a bunch of stuff or, or get things that they maybe feel they don't need, like a new tattoo or something like that. It's just, it's a tough business environment on that account too. Exactly. Well, and I can tell you from my own experience, I am in a really fortunate position that I have not lost my job. I've been able to just pick things up and continue working from home just like a pretty normal day. Um, But I am still cutting back on any extra spending because we don't know what this is going to look like months down the road. Things could change for people whose situations are stable now, just depending on how the economy does. And so I'm, you know, tightening my belt just like everyone else who doesn't have income right now, just to kind of save for a rainy day that could come in a few months. So to close this out here, and then um, we want to hear from Representative Becky Evans, um, who Megan talked to. A lot of this is also going to become fodder for the campaign trail. There's a chance that Democrats could take back the Georgia House of Representatives in the elections this November. Um, Brian Kemp is probably much of the 2022 campaign for his reelection is going to be based on how he handled this crisis. What are y'all's thoughts on the political implications of this for the governor or for the Republican stranglehold on state government at large? Luke, what do you think about how the politics will shake out? Well, first, I, I really hope you're right, and that will be what Kemp's election is on. Just, just not even for partisan. Like I think it would be good for Democrats. Just I would be so relieved if the political news cycle would slow down so much that we literally would be talking about something that happened two years ago. Because I feel like we're constantly talking about things that happened like 30 seconds ago and then having to reel from the next new terrible or surprising thing that happened. So just a you know note for that would be great. Um, the other thing I want to say uh, on this is, is, is part of the reason I've been very hard on Kemp is that I just don't feel like there's a lot of coordinating going on with other parts of government that I don't feel like he's using the position of governor in the most aggressive, appropriate way so that he could have had a better handle on this um, situation and had a better handle on trying to do what would help the state the most, right? And so I think from that situation is there will be some political consequences to that. And I think that's true because by comparison, Kemp is doing less than Trump is and thinks the government has a smaller role than Trump even does to handle this situation. And I don't think people are thinking very politically right now. I have a disease of, you know, <laughs> an affliction of being political. And so I'm seeing it through that lens, but I don't think most people are. But kind of hitting Megan's point of like not knowing what the future holds. I, I hope that at some point people will look at it from that perspective, just so that there's a clarity that this crisis gives everyone into like what the, the choice they are making when they vote for Republicans like Brian Kemp, even compared to Republicans like Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, who people have said is doing doing a really good job compared to the Stacey Abramses of the world or the Joe Bidens when it comes to the presidential election. So I, I, I think there will 
potentially be long lasting consequences to this and not just if the news cycle slows down but because we're not going to be out of the woods of this thing and even let's say the best case scenario where this doesn't come back in the fall or we have herd immunity or vaccine one of those potential very good scenarios happens and the economic part of this crisis will be very long lasting and very continuing and i just don't have a lot of faith that kemp is going to do a lot to make that situation better and so i think that is the political risk that he feels both for his party in the upcoming november elections but also uh two years from now when he's running for re-election is i don't see him using the office of governor uh in a positive way uh to bolster people's opinions of how he handled this crisis. Megan, you talked to Representative Becky Evans. She has a primary challenger, but she may end up being a part of the class of of Democratic House candidates that tries to take the majority away from Republicans uh, in the fall. What are your thoughts on how this issue will be aired out on the campaign trail this year? That's a great question. Um, I mean, Representative Evans and I didn't talk about that specifically, so I definitely can't speak for her or really any other representative. But just from my own perspective, I think that Medicare for all will definitely be a hot topic item. I know Representative Evans definitely mentioned it. Um, And I think, you know, this, this is going to bring to light a lot of the things that Democrats have been trying to push for a long time. We have a problem in this country related to healthcare. We have a problem in this country related to people making a livable wage. Uh, we have a problem in this country with discrimination. Um, and I know that that's something that's like close to my heart just because there are many groups, LGBTQ included, who are hit harder by this virus either because of uh, comorbidities or because of either being or, or because of being sort of ostracized and not feeling comfortable seeking medical help. So I think that a lot of those things will be brought up in the context of COVID-19, which will kind of hopefully spread, shed a different light on it rather than this kind of idea that I feel like Democrats are having to prove that it is the right thing to do and have it be based solely on that and numbers rather than being able to apply it to experience. All right. Well, I think that is a good place to close for today. Uh, Again, don't miss that interview with Megan and Representative Becky Evans. That's going to be the next item in your podcast feed. We were going to run it at the end of this conversation, but as you all can see, we had a lot to say about this. uh, So we decided to run it as a separate episode. So be sure to check that one out. Uh, For now, we are going to leave that there and we will talk to you again soon. That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks as always to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all.